officials lack of confidentiality and dubious rules of procedures and evidence, and three, the long-running international investigative process in which political powers and intelligence agencies apparently play a central role. We'll start with the background. Uh, they, uh, on February 14, 2005, on Valentine's Day, at 12.56 p.m., a massive explosion on Beirut's Mediterranean coastline took the life of former Lebanese Prime Minister Rafiq Hariri and 22 people who were accompanying him or who happened to be at the site of the blast. The explosion also injured 220 persons and damaged public and private property in a 500-meter radius. Analysis of the explosion indicates that the equivalent of 1,800 kilograms of TNT was detonated in an improvised explosive device from inside a Mitsubishi van close to the convoy transporting Hariri along the sea road from the parliament in Beirut's downtown district to his residence in the city. Among the dead were several of Hariri's bodyguards and his friend and former minister of economy, Basil Flahan, citizens who were uh, taking a walk on the beachfront, and several Syrian workers in a nearby construction site. The DNA evidence later collected from the crime scene suggests that the assassination might have been the act of a young male suicide bomber. The assassination in context. Political assassinations are not new to Lebanon. Riyad al-Sulah, the first post-independence prime minister, was assassinated in 1951. This was followed by a series of assassinations targeting politicians, journalists, and religious leaders. President-elect Bashir Jamail was assassinated in 1982, and President René Maouad was assassinated on Independence Day 1989, that is November the 22nd, whereas an attempt was made on the life of former President Kamil Shamoun back in 1980. Prime Minister Rashid Karami was assassinated in 1987, and an attempt was made on the life of another Prime Minister, Salim al hus in 1984. Several religious leaders for, were assassinated and foreign diplomats, including an American ambassador and French, Iraqi, and Jordanian diplomats, were murdered. In 1984, Malcolm Kerr, president of the American University of Beirut, was gunned down. The assassination of Hariri was also followed by a long list of assassinations, including Member of Parliament Gibran Twaini, politician uh, George Howey and uh, journalist Samir uh, Qasir in 2005, Prime uh, uh, Minister Pierre Jemayel and activist uh, Mohammed and Nidal Majzoub in 2006, Member of Parliament Walid Eido, Antoine Ghanem and Army General Francois Hajj in 2007, and police investigator Wissam Eid in 2008. This long list of crimes does not make the assassination of Hariri less deserving of proper prosecution and fair punishment. But there is no legal or moral basis for pursuing justice in the Hariri case while refraining from doing so in previous and later cases. Impunity in Lebanon. Most of the assassinations listed, uh, listed earlier either went unresolved or unpunished and were whitewashed by general amnesty laws. The Lebanese Constitution, Article 53, Paragraph 9, allows the President to grant particular pardons and empowers the government and the parliament to vote general amnesty laws. Since independence in 1943, every Lebanese president and almost every cabinet and parliament granted amnesty to hundreds and perhaps thousands of presumed criminals. The amnesty law passed on July 18, 2005 is, however, 
most relevant to this lecture because it was passed just five months after the assassination of Hariri. It amnestied ex-warlord Samir Jaja for five specific sentences against him. In one of those cases, Jaja was convicted and sentenced for the assassination of Prime Minister Rashid Karami in 1987. This amnesty law was passed just three months after the UN fact-finding mission to Lebanon presented a report to the Security Council stating that Lebanese officials, quote, contributed to the propagation of a culture of intimidation and impunity, unquote. Five months after this amnesty law was passed by around 100 votes in the parliament elected in May 2005 and dominated by Hariri's political allies, among whom were Jaja's Lebanese forces parliamentarians, Prime Minister Fuad Sanyura's government requested the United Nations Security Council quote, to establish a tribunal of an international character to try those who are found responsible for the terrorist crime perpetrated against Prime Minister Hariri, unquote. And, quote, to investigate the assassination attempts and assassinations and explosions that took place in Lebanon, starting with the attempt on the life of Minister Marwan Hamadi on October 1, 2004, unquote. The same majority, the same majority in the Lebanese parliament that passed an amnesty law for the murderer of one prime minister strongly supported the request to the United Nations to investigate and prosecute the case of the assassination of another prime minister. This selective approach to access to justice conflicts with initiatives aimed at ending impunity in Lebanon. Yet, the Special Tribunal for Lebanon was established based on a document which specifically recalls the above request. The Special Tribunal of Lebanon's birth defects. On March 29, 2006, the Security Council passed Resolution 1664, creating an international tribunal. It requested Secretary General Kofi Annan to negotiate an agreement with the Lebanese government, quote, aimed at, at establishing a tribunal of an international character based on the highest standards of criminal justice, unquote. The UN Security Council resolution to establish this special tribunal for Lebanon in March 2006 has been preceded by, first, a fact-finding mission, and then an international commission, uh, commission, uh, international commission of investigation, the details of which will be given later in this lecture. From a constitutional point of view, however, it should be noted that by the time an agreement was signed in February 2007 between the UN and the Lebanese government setting up the special tribunal, there had been a devastating war in July-August 2006, and five Shiite ministers had resigned from the government. The Speaker of Parliament, Nabih Birri, said that signing the agreement was unconstitutional. After the signing, there were then four months of stalemate during which Parliament failed to convene. Thereafter, on May 30, 2007, Western powers decided to bypass the Lebanese Constitution by considering the agreement between Lebanon and the United Nations on establishing the tribunal legally binding in spite of the absence of a vote by the parliament. Number one, narrow mandate. What makes this tribunal even more special is its mandate, which is by far 
the narrowest, the narrowest of any international tribunal. It has also, it has no jurisdiction to address serious crimes and human rights violations committed against thousands in Lebanon in recent years or decades, implying that the justice being promoted is so severely and obviously selective that it may contribute to further disagreements among Lebanese. The mandate of the special tribunal is limited to investigating and then prosecuting the perpetrators of the terrorist assassination of Hariri and 22 others. It has jurisdiction over other assassinations and assassination attempts committed between the 1st of October and the 12th of December 2005 only if the tribunal finds them to be connected to the assassination of Hariri and of a similar nature and gravity. Two, selective justice. As mentioned earlier, the man responsible for the assassination of Prime Minister Rashid Karami in 1987 was granted amnesty by a law passed in 2005 before the STL was set up. A condition of the STL, however, is, quote, not to grant amnesty to any person for any crime, unquote, falling within the STL's jurisdiction. In one case, amnesty is granted, but in another not. A second kind of selectivity is in relation to the devastating war of July-August 2006 when Lebanon witnessed bombing of homes and hospitals and hundreds of persons buried under the rubble of buildings. The Lebanon Higher Relief Council put the Lebanese death toll at 1,191 and estimated the number of Lebanese injured to be 4,409, 15% of whom were permanently disabled. It may be argued that the bombing of the Hariri motorcade cannot be compared to the armed forces bombardment of civilian infrastructure in Lebanon and the slaughter of hundreds. However, it is access to justice for the victims that is the issue here, at issue here. And it should be noted that the right to access to justice equally applies to victims of bombardments of civil targets in Israel. Neither Lebanese nor Israeli victims of the bloody events of 2006 had access to international justice. Number three, sovereignty denied, chapter seven. The, the draft agreement between the United Nations and Lebanon on the establishment of the tribunal was approved by the Lebanese cabinet on November 13, 2006. However, the cabinet's decision was made in the absence of six ministers who had resigned, five of whom represented the total number of Muslim Shiite ministers. Paragraph J of the Lebanese Constitution's preamble cites, quote, there is no constitutional legitimacy for any authority which contradicts the pact of communal coexistence, unquote, which emphasizes representation of all major religious sects in the government. Thereafter, the cabinet's the cabinet deliberations and its endorsement of the draft for the international agreement to establish the special tribunal for Lebanon were both unconstitutional. The president of the republic negotiates international treaties in coordination with the council of ministers. They are to be ratified by the parliament whenever the national interests and security of the state are involved according to article 52 of the Lebanese Constitution. However, 
The agreement to establish the special tribunal for Lebanon was neither negotiated by the president nor ratified by the parliament. In spite of this, on May 30, 2007, the Security Council passed Resolution 1757 to bring into force the agreement to set up the tribunal. Enforcement under Chapter 7, Article 2, Paragraph 7, is an exception to the principle of national sovereignty. United Nations Charter, Article 2, Paragraph 1. It presupposes the existence of an international dispute threatening international peace and security. No such dispute was mentioned in Resolution 1757. Number four, the tribunal's disproportionate cost. The constitution of the Lebanese Treasury, the contribution of the Lebanese Treasury to the Special Tribunal for Lebanon was set up by Resolution 1757 at 49% of the tribunal's budget. UN Secretary General's report to the Security Council stated that, quote, the budget for the Special Tribunal is $51.4 million for its first year of operation, unquote. The total budget of the Ministry of Justice in Lebanon for 2009, which represents less than 1% of the total government budget, came to 55.8 million US dollars. The national budget for the same year allocated 72 million US dollars, that is, that is one, 108 billion Lebanese pounds, as Lebanon's contribution to the special tribunal over two years. The Security Council compels Lebanon to contribute to the special tribunal with its limited mandate some $20 million more than it spends on thousands of judicial cases in hundreds of local courts. Yet, the chambers of the STL have not yet been convened, no arrests have been made, and at present there are no persons detained. To say the least, Lebanese investment in prosecuting an assassina uh, the assassination of Hariri and related attacks is disproportionate to the local justice system, given the enormous number of other killings and grave human rights abuses not being prosecuted. Moreover, the special tribunal never published an audit report, never published an audit report, and the Lebanese have no way of now knowing how their 49% contribution to the tribunal's budget is being spent. Five, STL selection of judges and staff. The tribunal includes 11 judges, four from Lebanon and seven from other countries, who have been recruited, unlike the selection procedures in the International Criminal Tribunal for former Yugoslavia, by a selection panel appointed by the Secretary General. By contrast, ICTY judges are voted by the United Nations General Assembly. In the STL case, international candidates were interviewed by the panel and its recommendations were endorsed by the UN Secretary General on December 4, 2008. As for Lebanese candidates, they were selected by the Lebanese Supreme Council of the Judiciary. The problem with the selection process for both Lebanese and international justice at the Special Tribunal for Lebanon is that the statute of the tribunal does not contain detailed criteria for appointments, such as the need for expertise and experience in international criminal law and human rights. The UN-appointed selection panel did not review the professional record, i.e. previous court cases of the candidates prior to submitting recommendations. Soon after the launch of the tribunal in 2009, 
Dured Bsharrawi was, uh, was appointed advisor to the Special Tribunal for Lebanon's Office of the Prosecutor. In an article published in an Nahar newspaper, Bsharrawi expressed, quote, fears of the possibility of failure in reaching the truth about Hariri's assassination if some Security Council members strike a political deal with the Syrian regime at the expense of the International Tribunal for Lebanon, unquote. This implies that he was convinced of Syrian involvement in the assassination. Such expressions of prejudice would usually disqualify the candidate from becoming the legal advisor for the office of the prosecutor. Apparently not in this case. The Special Tribunal for Lebanon had also employed Nick Caldas as chief investigator at the office of the prosecutor. An, an appointment announced in mid-December 2008. At that time, Caldas was being investigated back in his homeland, Australia, in a case brought before Chief, Chief Just Justice Jim Spiegelman concerning allegations of withholding information from the court in the investigation of the murder of Labour Member of Parliament John Newman in 1994. Caldas was found innocent on April 16, 2009, more than two months after he assumed his duties as Chief Investigators of the Special Tribunal for Lebanon. Caldas resigned in February 2010 and was replaced by New Scotland Yard's former head of intelligence on counterterrorism, Michael Taylor. Number six, dubious rules of procedures and evidence. The judges of the Special Tribunal for Lebanon met in a plenary session in November 2010 to consider uh, proposed amendments to the Special Tribunal for Lebanon's rules of procedures and, evid uh, uh, and evidence adopted on March 20, 2009 and previously amended twice on June 10 and on October 30, 2009. Amongst the most important amendments introduced in November 2010 were changes to the rules, quote, governing the service of an indictment by detailing the practical steps that must be taken after the confirmation of an indictment, in particular regarding the start of in absentia proceedings, unquote. The new framework allegedly creates, quote, more legal certainty for accused and other parties in the proceedings, unquote. The judges also clarified the admissibility of written statements by witnesses unable to come and testify, quote, for good reasons, unquote. Such amendments may have been politically motivated by the fact that they were introduced a few weeks after the declaration of Hezbollah's leader, Sayyid Hassan Nasrallah, that he does not recognize the SDL's legitimacy, and therefore, if any of his party's adherents were indicted, they would have to be tried in absentia. These amendments do not, however, represent the only problem. Other STL rules raise critical concerns about the transparency and adequacy necessary for the attainment of justice. Paragraph F under Rule 118 states that, quote, if the prosecutor calls a witness to introduce in evidence any information provided under this rule, neither the pretrial judge nor the trial chamber may compel that witness to answer any question related to information 
or its origin if the witness declines to answer on grounds of confidentiality, unquote. Usually, usually, judges should have permanent authority to question the source of evidence collected by the prosecutor and presented in court. At the STL, they simply don't. Rule 117 allows non-disclosure of information to protect, quote, security interests of states and other international entities, unquote. Rule 118 also expands on this by noting that, quote, where the prosecutor is in possession of information which was provided on a confidential basis and which affects the security interests of states, of a state or international entity or an agent thereof, he shall not disclose that information or its origin without the consent of the person or entity providing the information, unquote. Once, uh, the, cons uh, once the, uh, the consent of the witness is secured, the prosecution is granted an opportunity to rephrase his or her statements and present it in a way that may limit the defense's prospect for efficient cross-examination. Rule 74, non-disclosure disclosure of indictment. Despite recent amendments introduced under Rule 76B, the Special Tribunal of Lebanon Rule of Procedure and Evidence allow, quote, in exceptional circumstances, on the application of the prosecutor or defense, uh, the pretrial judge to order the non-disclosure uh, to the public of the indictment or any related document or information until further order, unquote. Rule 74 also allows the prosecutor to, quote, disclose an indictment or part thereof to the authorities of a state where the prosecutor deem, deems it necessary for the purpose of an investigation or prosecution, unquote. This grants the prosecutor opportunities to engage in political maneuvers by selecting the states to which he discloses the indictment, especially since such disclosure does not require the approval of a judge according to the rules. We move to political determination of the international judicial procedures. Number one, the birth pangs of the STL. Fitzgerald, Fitzgerald's fact-finding. On February 15, 2005, just one day after the assassination of Hariri, the Security Council showed extraordinary concern and requested the Secretary General to, quote, follow closely the situation in Lebanon and report urgently on the circumstances, causes, and consequences of this terrorist act, unquote. Pursuant to this statement, UN Secretary General Kofi Annan dispatched a fact-finding mission to Beirut. The mission, headed by Peter Fitzgerald, an Irish uh, deputy police commissioner, arrived in the Lebanese capital on February 25. During a period of less than one month, less than one month, the mission met Lebanese officials and politicians from both the government and opposition, studied the Lebanese investigation and legal proceedings, examined the crime scene, collected evidence, and interviewed the witnesses. Despite the fact that the mission's report stated that accusations and counter-accusations are rife and aggravated, aggravate the ongoing political polarization, it concluded after less than a month of investigations by a team of three foreigners with limited knowledge of Lebanon that, quote, 
The Lebanese security service and the Syrian military intelligence bear the primary responsibility for the lack of security protection and law and order in Lebanon, unquote. Detlev Melis's contributions. The Security Council passed Resolution 1595 on April 7, 2005, ordering the establishment of an international independent commission to assist the Lebanese authorities in their investigation of the terrorist act of February 14, 2005, and to help identify, quote, perpetrators, sponsors, and organizer, organizers and accomplices, unquote. Berlin's prosecutor, Detlev Melis, was appointed on May 13, 2005, as head of the commission. Melis was known for his role in investigating the 1986 Berlin terrorist attack on the Labelle Disco in Berlin. The methods he used in his investigation seemed highly controversial. In 1999, Amnesty International report reads, quote, the trial of five people accused of a bomb attack continued in Germany. The prosecution claimed that the bombing of a West Berlin discotheque in 1986, apparently targeting U.S. military personnel, had been carried out on direct orders from the Libyan intelligence service. In July, a court in Berlin ruled that the confession of a former Libyan diplomat, diplomat Musbah al-Atr, uh, was inadmissible because a prosecutor, i.e. Detlev Melis, had wrongly given the impression that he would be spared of uh, a life sent a prison sentence if he confessed to a role in the bombing. A few days later, prosecution challenged this ruling before an appeal court, which rejected the challenge, saying that there was no reason to suspect the court that made the July ruling had, had been partial. In August, the prosecution appealed again before a different chamber of the appeal court, unquote. On uh, August 25, 1998, German public television, ZDF, uh, reported that several leading suspects in the 1986 bombing, quote, were being protected from prosecution by Western intelligence services, unquote. These included, quote, a group of terrorists led by Mahmoud Abu Jabir, unquote, a man allegedly involved in the preparation of the Label attack. Abu Jabir's right-hand man, Muhammad Amairi, was, according to his own lawyer, according to his own lawyer, Odd Drevland, an agent of the Israeli Mossad. After fleeing to Norway, Amairi was arrested and investigated. However, according to Drevland, the, the Mossad intervened and, quote, everything changed, unquote, and Amairi was granted asylum. Berlin lifted the German police warrant against him. On October 20, 2005, the Security Council received Melis's first report on the Hariri assassination, in which the commission concluded that, quote, there is converging evidence pointing at both Lebanese and Syrian involvement in this terrorist act, unquote. However, evidence gathered by the commission proved insufficient to support indictments of Syrian officials or anyone else for Hariri's murder. Melis expressed otherwise. He had recommended the arrest of eight Lebanese. Four among them remained behind bars almost four years and were later released by the tribunal on the grounds that there was no credible evidence against them. This was considered arbitrary detention by the Geneva-based Human Rights Committee in 2007. Melis's breach of Lebanese law. 
In the first report of the United Nations International Independent Investigative Commission of October 20, 2005, Melis published details of the investigations conducted by the Lebanese authorities prior to the arrival of the international investigators. From page 16 to page 19 of the report made public immediately after it was presented to the Security Council members, Melis published the names of more than 25 witnesses, witnesses interviewed by Lebanese judge Michel Abu Harraj, who later resigned for unknown reasons. This was in clear violation of Article 53 of the Lebanese Code of Criminal Prosecutions that is supposed to be respected by the UNIIIC according to Article 2 and 4 of the Memorandum of Understanding signed on June 16, 2005 by Melis himself and Lebanese Minister of Justice Khalid Qabbani. Article 53 of the Lebanese Code of Criminal Prosecution states, quote, the investigation shall remain confidential until such time as the case is referred to the trial court. Anyone who breaches the confidentiality of the investigation shall be made liable to prosecution, unquote. Melis's publication of the details of Abu Arraj's investigations also violated Articles 55 and 42. Moreover, Melis published statements of witnesses who gave testimony to the Commission and the Lebanese authorities before, before a witness protection program was functional. Among the statements published on page 12 in the statement of wit is the statement of witness Gibran Twaini on June 25, 2005. The witness was assassinated on December 12 of the same year. Melis was not held accountable for failing to ensure his security. Bramertz, on December 15, 2005, Melis resigned. And on January 11, 2006, he was replaced by Serge Bramertz. Unlike Melis, the new commissioner refrained from making public the details of his work. No mention was made of witness testimonies implicating Lebanese or Syrian officials or any other evidence of their complicity, nor was Melis's conclusion on Syrian involvement in the assassination of Hariri repeated. The Commission's mandate under Bramertz was widened, and it submitted six reports to the Security Council. The Commissioner underlined the fact that the inquiry only makes sense if it leads to a judicial process and that it, it is committed to a special tribunal. However, after two years of criminal investigations, the evidence gathered maintained insufficient to issue indictments. Belmar. Bramel stepped down on January 1, 2008, and was replaced by Daniel Belmar. UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon named Belmar as commissioner to be metamorphosed into the prosecutor of the special tribunal upon its launch. On August 31, 2010, Belmar was asked, quote, did you interview anybody in Israel or any Israeli citizen, unquote. He answered, quote, at this point, this is part of the ongoing investigation. What I said before is that I will go where the evidence leads me, unquote. Not satisfied with the answer, the interviewer asked again, quote, that is very nice, but my question was, did you talk to any Israeli, unquote? And the STL prosecutor said, quote, I am not ready to answer that question. It is part of the investigation, unquote. 
The interviewer insisted, quote, why not a simple yes or no? It is a very delicate issue for the Lebanese. You are not denying that you questioned individuals from Hezbollah, and it is not that the investigation team ever made a secret that it talked to Syrian nationals. Is it not exactly the same thing, unquote? Belmar reacted by simply saying, quote, what I am saying is that we are reviewing all the possible existing evidence, unquote. Belmar admitted interviewing Hezbollah officials. When asked, quote, you have spoken to many Hezbollah officials, did they ever mention the information Nasrallah came up with, unquote, he said, quote, no, it is not related at all. They were interviewed like any other witnesses. It has nothing to do with what we saw from Mr. Nasrallah on TV, unquote. In sum, Belmar publicly revealed that he interviewed Hezbollah officials, but refused to answer the questions about interviewing Israelis. Belmar apparently does not consider identifying witnesses in a criminal investigation related to the investigation. He issued a statement three months after identifying Hezbollah officials as witnesses on November 23, 2010, claiming that, quote, the Office of the Prosecutor's decision not to comment on matters relating to the investigation will not change. This decision is based on considerations of utmost concern for the integrity of the investigation and the safety of the victims, witnesses, suspects, and staff. Preserving confidentiality is essential for the success of the investigation, unquote. Number two, resignations, internal disputes, and unanswered questions. On September 27, 2010, the SDL's Office of the Prosecutor announced that it, quote, regrets the departure of Ms. Henrietta Aswad as its spokesperson due to unforeseen personal, unforeseen personal reasons, unquote. Aswad was appointed just a few, few weeks earlier, on September 8, 2010 replacing Radi Ashuri, who resigned in May 2010 for the same alleged reasons. The head of the Special Tribunal for Lebanon's Public Affairs and Outreach, Peter Foster, had also left The Hague in July 2010. Earlier, on January 12, 2010, the, the Special Tribunal announced that its registrar, David Tolbert, resigned in order to take on his duties as president of the International Center for Transitional Justice. The chief investigator at the office of the prosecutor had also declared himself not willing to renew his one-year contract earlier on the same month, January 7, and was to leave The Hague on February 28, 2010. Four months earlier, Judge Howard Morrison resigned for unknown reasons. That was on August 14. And a few days earlier, the spokesperson for the tribunal, Susan Khan, had also resigned. The person who replaced Khan, Fatima Asawi, also resigned last year. Resignations for various reasons are not unusual in international tribunals. However, in the case of the Special Tribunal for Lebanon, Resignations were numerous, fast, frequent, and for obscure reasons. Tolbert, who was appointed by UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon on July 10, 2009, and who took office on August 26, had replaced Robin Vincent, who resigned on, uh, on April 21, 2009. President Kassesi told me 
in a recorded interview on April 22, 2009, that the reasons for Vincent's resignation were, quote, personal, unquote, whereas Vincent himself explained that disagreements between prosecutor Daniel Belmar and himself led to his departure. Number three, impunity for arbitrary detention. The four Lebanese officers incarcerated for almost four years arbitrarily, in this case, Generals Jamil Sayyid, Ali al-Hajj, Rimo Azar, and Mustafa Hamdan, have so far been denied access to justice with regard to persons responsible of their arbitrary detention. The office of the prosecutor created obstacles to giving one of the officers, Sayyid, access to some of the documents in its possession. Such documents would allow his lawyer to proceed with court cases initiated in tribunals in Paris and Damascus. The documents Sayyid has requested are a certified copy of the records of Sayyid's complaints that were forwarded to the STL by the Lebanese authorities on March 1, 2009. A certified copy of the records of the witness statement which allegedly implicated Sayyid directly or indirectly in Hariri's assassination. The reports provided to the Lebanese prosecutor relating to the assessment of the above-mentioned statements, and in particular the reports of by Bramers provided on December 8, 2006, the opinion of Belmar regarding the detention of Syed and other detainees, which was allegedly forwarded to the Lebanese prosecutor general, and any other piece of evidence necessary for prosecution of offenses that President Kassese might possess. Although Belmar's office argued that most of these documents are supposed to remain confidential until the filing of the indictment, there is little reason for considering the summary of the opinion of Belmar and other UN IIIC commissioners on the detention forwarded to the Lebanese judiciary to be considered confidential. However, in an amicus cura brief concerning the inviolability of the United Nations documents presented to the STL, UN Under Secretary General for Legal Affairs, Patricia O'Brien, stated that the UN, quote, requests that in considering Syed's application for access to his criminal file and in, other, and in any other proceedings, the tribunal, prosecutors, and defense counsel appearing before it refrain from disclosing, giving access to, or tendering in evidence any United Nations documents without prior authorization by the United Nations." Unquote. In fact, the, the fact that O'Brien considers UN ownership of part of the criminal investigation records represents a breach of the independence of the Special Tribunal for Lebanon, and therefore a sign of international political involvement in the proceedings of this judicial case. In a sense, those responsible for the arbitrary detention of persons in the Hariri case remain free from accountability thanks to an international tribunal that was created allegedly to end impunity. Number four, suspicious investigations and questionable indictments. Chief Investigator Michael Taylor plays a central role in putting together the STL indictment. Taylor had served as head of Intelligent Counterterrorism Command at the New Scotland Yard from March 2004 to August 2006. Presumably, he has also directed the investigation concerning Hezbollah. Thus, a United Nations congressional report issued 
on October 8, 2010, stated that, quote, in March 2010, Prosecutor Daniel Belmar questioned several Hezbollah officials, including Hajj Salim, who heads the Special Operations Department, Mustafa Badreddin, head of the counterintelligence unit, and Wafiq Safa, chief of security, unquote. Since 2009, Lebanese security forces arrested a large number of persons, including government officials who worked in telecommunications and who were suspected of spying for Israel. Hezbollah's leadership has linked the spy network with a broader scheme to exploit the STL investigations, as most UNIIIC reports and reports that were allegedly leaked from Belmar's office relied on information gathered from mobile phone and telecommunication networks. Taylor in action. As chief investigator, Taylor enjoys access to a vast amount of data and official records from the Lebanese government and its security and intelligence agencies, including personal status records, phone records, vehicle registration, Lebanese university student records. Two male investigators who are part of Taylor's team, an Australian and a Frenchman, attempted on October 27 last year to collect information about Hezbollah adherents from the office of a gynecologist, Iman Sharara, in a Hezbollah stronghold of southern Beirut. Quote, after making an appointment with the purpose of examining the records of at least 14 people who had visited her clinic since 2003, unquote. The investigators were not allowed to complete their task as they were attacked by a number of women. The attackers snatched a briefcase that one of the investigators was carrying, which contained a laptop and official special tribunal uh, documents, Special Tribunal for Lebanon President uh, Judge Antonio Cassese addressed the United Nations Secretary General Ban Ki-moon and Lebanese Prime Minister Saad Hariri on October 29, 2010, conveying, quote, the tribunal's great concern about the incident which took place in Beirut on 27 October, unquote. And he added that, quote, incident will not be allowed to jeopardize the work of the tribunal, unquote. However, Taylor's team did not attempt to visit the Sharara's office or any other location in southern Beirut again. No one was arrested and the STL property was not returned. False evidence, telecommunication. The UNIIIC report released on October 20, 2005 found a high ranking, high, that, that high-ranking members of the Syrian and Lebanese governments were involved in the Hariri assassination. The report based its findings on patterns of telephone calls between specific prepaid phone cards that connected prominent Lebanese and Syrian officials, officials to events surrounding the crime. However, a controversial Canadian media report, the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation News, uh, of late 2010, referring to investigators who worked with Belmar and showing copies of showing copies of confidential investigation records claimed that, quote, evidence gathered by Lebanese police and much later the UN points, to overwhel uh, points overwhelmingly to the fact that the assassins were from Hezbollah, the militant party of God that is largely sponsored by Syria and Iran. CBC News has obtained cell phone and other telecommunications evidence 
that is at the core of this case, unquote. The report concludes that telecommunication analysis led to, quote, the single biggest breakthrough the Commission had accomplished since its formation, unquote. However, on October 22, 2010, the International Telecommunication Union, the ITU, conference in Mexico, held in Mexico, condemned, quote, Israel's violation of Lebanon's telecommunication sector, unquote. The conference also stressed Lebanon's, quote, complete right, unquote, to be compensated for the harms that have been inflicted on the telecommunications network. The condemnation came after extensive efforts by Lebanese telecommunications minister Sharbel Nahas to convince the 124 participants to condemn Israel, and the outcome was 43 voting in favor, 23 against, and 57 abstentions. On November 23, Nahas said during a press conference in Beirut, quote, Israel is continuing its widespread espionage penetration in Lebanon, unquote. A Lebanese technical expert working for the Lebanese Ministry of Telecommunications also explained how easily the Israelis infiltrated the telecom network, saying that the Israelis planted, they planted espionage devices in the Lebanese telecom antenna near the border with Lebanon. Since 2009, Lebanon has launched a nationwide crackdown on Israeli spy cells, arresting nearly 100 people, including members of the security forces, the Lebanese army, and telecommunication personnel on suspicion of spying for Israel. A number of suspects have admitted their roles in helping Israel identify targets inside Lebanon, mostly belonging to Hezbollah, which were heavily bombed during the 2006 war. Pre-trial judge on intelligence. The SDL's pre-trial judge, Daniel Francin, declared on May 13, 2010, that he would quote, profit from all the techniques in the struggle against terrorism, unquote. And when asked about reports provided by intelligence agencies, he said, quote, in this case, it is about knowing how to make this type of information compatible with judicial procedures which are public, whereas working with intelligence service, services must remain confidential, unquote. In this rare interview for Orient Le Jour, Francine, whose authority is fundamental considering that the indictment will be valid only after the pretrial judge confirms its credibility, elaborated when asked, how can a judge trust sources of information provided by intelligence services when dealing with a terrorist case? He replied, quote, it is certainly not easy. Links of confidence must be established. We have at our disposition specialized police services, unquote. Confidential information leak, uh, uh, investigation leaks. Before CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation news publication of the UN IIIC confidential investigation records on November 21, 2010, Der Spiegel, had published a similar controversial report on May 23, 2009. The report's author, Eric Follat, claimed that he, quote, has learned from sources close to the tribunal and verified by examining internal documents 
that the Hariri case is about to take a sensational turn. Intensive investigations in Lebanon are all pointing to a new conclusion that is that it was not the Syrians, but instead special forces of the Lebanese Shiite organization Hezbollah that planned and ex executed the diabolical attack, unquote. Belmar refused to comment. However, information about the indictment of Hezbollah adherents also seemed to have been leaked from his office to Rafiq Hariri's son, Saad. Hezbollah leader Sayyid Hassan Nasrallah said in July 2010 that, the Hariri, that Hariri had told him that arrest warrants would soon be issued by the Special Tribunal for Lebanon against members of his organization. Hariri claimed initially three arrest warrants are expected to be issued, but uh, by the end of 2010, between 20 and 50 Hezbollah officials could be taken to court. During a personal meeting with the, between the two men, Hariri expressed concern about the country's unity and said that he believed leaders of Hezbollah would not be affected by the arrest warrants, but that only, quote, rogue members, unquote, of the organization will be targeted. Nasrallah, for his part, dismissed the arrest warrants as totally unacceptable, claiming that the court was being influenced by Israel. Among those who will be indicted, according to the people briefed on it, uh, quote, according to the people briefed on it, is Mustafa Badreddin, a senior Hezbollah official and brother-in-law of Hezbollah military commander chief Ahmad Mughniya, who was among the Federal Bureau of Investigation's most wanted men before his assassination nearly three years ago, unquote. Mughniya is also believed by Belmar's investigators to have played a role in the car bombing that killed Hariri. Indicting rogue members equals indicting Nasrallah. Belmar's indictment of rogue members of Hezbollah, not its uh, leadership or any of its officials, has been part of Western official statements about Lebanon. In a recent interview, British ambassador to Lebanon, Francis Guy, emphasized that, quote, the tribunal is not going to accuse any sect or party. It is going to accuse some individuals, unquote. French Minister of Foreign Affairs, Michel Eliomarie, was even more explicit. She told 20 Minutes on uh, January 4, 2010, that, quote, Hezbollah has members who were voted into government institutions. If persons are suspected by the Special Tribunal for Lebanon, they will be suspected as persons, not as representatives of a party or a community." Unquote. However, a review of the tribunal statute shows that the leadership of Hezbollah is likely to be indicted should some of its rogue members so be. Legally, individual members come within the structure of command of the organization. The, the, the tribunal statute states, quote, with respect to superior and subordinate relationships, a superior shall be criminally responsible of any of the crimes committed by subordinates under his or her effective authority or control and control as, re as a result of his or her failure to exercise control properly over such subordinates, where A, the superior either knew or consciously disregarded information that clearly indicated that the subordinates were committing or about to commit such crimes, B, 
The crimes concerned activities that were within the effective responsibility and control of the superior and C, the superior failed to take all necessary and reasonable measures within his or her power to prevent or repress their commission or to submit the matter to the competent authorities for investigation and prosecution, unquote. If members of Hezbollah are accused of committing the crime, it would seem highly unlikely that their superiors failed to realize that they were about to commit such a crime, especially since more than one ton of explosive had to be transported and placed in a vehicle, and a large number of people had to be mobilized to collect information about the target's transportation and daily schedule. Hezbollah is considered, quote, a clandestine, impenetrable, paranoid organization in which the central element of security is the recruitment of Shia cadres, unquote. Some American observers even claim that it, quote, established a sophisticated intelligence apparatus that reaches into the United States, unquote. It would be highly unlikely that the leadership of such an allegedly sophisticated organization would would, would not be suspected of having information about the assassination of Hariri should some of its members be indicted. In fact, failure to investigate the possible involvement of Sayyid Hassan Nasrallah and, other, and others in Hezbollah's leadership should some of its members be indicted may be considered non-compliant with the highest standards of international criminal justice by which the special tribunal is supposed to function according to resolution 1757. Number five, indictments delayed for political reasons. As was mentioned earlier in this lecture, according to the Security Council resolution 1757, the special tribunal for Lebanon Shall commence, quote, shall commence functioning on a date to be determined by the Secretary General in consultation with the Government of Lebanon, taking into account the progress of the work of the International Independent Investigative Commission, unquote. That date was determined and set for March 1, 2009. Thus, the investigations files in the, in the office of the prosecutor were supposed to be complete enough to allow for indictments or at least pre-indictment measures. Such measures may include pre-trial arrest for a maximum of 90 days uh, prior to issuing indictments. Yesterday, January 17, more than 22 months after the launch of the Special Tribunal for Lebanon in The Hague, the Office of the Prosecutor, Belmar, submitted an indictment to the pre-trial judge. Just for comparison, the first indictment of the International Criminal Tribunal of former Yugoslavia was issued four months after the prosecutor was appointed. Richard Goldstone was appointed on July 8, 1994. He issued an indictment on November 7 of that same year against Dragan Nikolic. In contrast, Belmar was named STL prosecutor in March 2009 after holding the position of UN Triple IC Commissioner for one year, 2008. Thus, by January 2011, after more than three years of continuous international investigation, no one has been formally considered a suspect and no one arrested. 
during that time information about the involvement of Saudi Arabia and other nations in efforts to postpone the indictment have been widely reported. The timing of the, timing of the filing of the indictment, i.e. yesterday, is noteworthy. It was formally announced by the STL last night, whereas today members of parliament were supposed to recommend a new prime minister following the collapse of Saad Hariri's government last week due to the resignation of a third of its ministers because of government cooperation with the International Tribunal. Information about the date of the indictment was in fact leaked to Agence France Presse before the Special Tribunal for Lebanon formally announced it last night. The date was also leaked last week to pro-Hariri politicians, among whom member of, member of parliament, Boutrous Harb, and media. Thereafter, on Sunday, uh, Nasrallah accused the Special Tribunal of Lebanon of timing the indictment so as to influence the process of forming a new government. The filing of the indictment also comes at a time when the US, France, and the UK are putting pressure on Lebanese members of parliament to recommend Saad Hariri again. He met uh, Obama and Sarkozy last week. Number six, reactions to expected indictment. Hezbollah's leader Said Hassan Nasrallah declared on November 10, 2010 that his party will not allow the arrests of any of its members if they are indicted by the STL. Nasrallah told supporters in the southern suburbs of Beirut a suburb of Beirut, quote, whoever thinks that we will allow the arrest or detention of any of our fighters is mistaken, unquote. Assistant U.S. Secretary of State for Near Eastern Affairs, Jeffrey Feltman, responded, quickly responded, by stressing that, quote, no matter how much Hezbollah huffs and puffs, the Special Tribunal for Lebanon's work continues, unquote. Hezbollah countered the indictment leaks by accusing Israel of assassinating Hariri, as was mentioned earlier. On August 8, 2010, in a two-hour-long television appearance, Nasrallah presented information pointing to Israel's involvement. He also characterized the, uh, the Special Tribunal for Lebanon as, quote, an Israeli project, unquote, and called for an internal Lebanese commission to investigate the assassination. He said, quote, we have definite information on the aerial movements of the Israeli enemy the day Hariri was murdered. Hours before he was murdered, an Israeli drone was surveying the Saidan Beirut Junior coastline as warplanes were flying over Beirut. This video can be acquired by any investigative commission to ensure that it is correct. We are sure of this evidence or else we would not risk showing it. However, if the Lebanese government is willing to form a Lebanese commission to investigate the matter, we will cooperate." Unquote. Israel was quick to dismiss the allegation, despite the fact that the Israeli army admitted, admitted in October 2010 that some of the information that Nasrallah revealed in his possession concerning the aerial movements of the Israelis is genuine. A senior Israeli official told Reuters, quote, the international community, the Arab world, and most importantly, the people of Lebanon all know that these accusations are simply ridiculous, unquote. 
Nasrallah acknowledged, acknowledged that the images he showed during the, his television appearance and the information he provided were not conclusive evidence against Israel. However, there are no signs or that the STL Office of the Prosecutor has investigated or is even interested in investigating possible, possible Israeli involvement in the Hariri assassination. Meanwhile, Western diplomats repeat that the Special Tribunal for Lebanon is expected to indict members of Hezbollah. Concluding remarks. After more than five years of international investigations into the 2005 assassination of former Lebanese Prime Minister Rafiq Hariri, no one has been charged, and four high-ranking generals considered suspects by the first report of the United Nations International Independent Investigative Commissions, uh, Commission, incarcerated, incarcerated arbitrarily for four years, have been allowed to go free. Australian Police Deputy Commissioner Nick Caldas, who had served as Chief Investigator at the Office of the Prosecutor of the Special Tribunal, recently declared that there was no guarantee there would be prosecutions. The international justice process in the Hariri assassination case is ongoing. However, the Special Tribunal remains an endless, internationally directed intelligence investigation costing the Lebanese every year more than the total local justice budget. Repeated statements by the tribunal's officials and high-level media leaks about the identity of the culprits to be indicted further undermines the credibility of the tribunal and its rules of procedures and evidence may allow disregarding the manipulability of some sources of evidence, not least from telecommunications. Lebanon, Lebanon has a desperately poor record of prosecution of political assassins, yet internationalization of access to justice through a tribunal created by UN Security Council is not expected to produce anything but the international political determination of injustice. Thank you. there you have it, selective justice, lack of national legitimacy, lack of constitutional legitimacy, a disproportionate budget, and lack of auditing or accountability, opaque procedures for the selection of judges and court officials, irregular procedures, internal institutional instability and persistent leakages, and finally, yesterday, this indictment. Questions, comments? challenges, defences of the tribunal? Yes. Thank you very much for this um, well, very thorough re report. My name is Melissa Mbarak. I'm a Lebanese student at LSE. And I would like to know what your opinion is. Well, <laughs> we all know what your opinion is, but like, 
currently with uh, with Hezbollah threatening to uh, and the current political situation in Lebanon becoming sort of violent in the case of the special tribunal uh, what in your opinion is the alternative and should we just throw away all that has been done for the past five years and do you have any idea what Hezbollah's possible re response might be if such indictments are made thank you Should I have to answer individual questions or groups? As you wish. Why don't you answer and we'll see how we go with the time. Yes, okay. Um, I, I can't speculate, but uh, I think uh, from what I follow from the, uh, the, uh, the statements, the, the formal statements by Hezbollah, I don't think that Hezbollah was explicit in saying that it will resort to violence if the indictment will come out. On the contrary, Hezbollah used a strategy of not saying what it will do. The leader of Hezbollah said that the, uh, after the issue of an indictment, this is the, we would be entering a new phase, and that would be a phase different than the phase prior to indictment of Hezbollah members. So I, I do not know, and I prefer not to speculate. I hope not, uh, because I think Lebanon suffered enough uh, of violence. And, uh, I think on the question if, uh, you, if I think my personal opinion as a Lebanese citizen that this money should be thrown away, uh, not, at all, not at all. I think there should be a process of correcting this, uh, the flaws and the problems in the tribunal or uh, reappointing people who are more credible perhaps, uh, amending the rules of procedure and evidence. Uh, in the case of former, uh, the special uh, uh, tribunal for uh, the, the international uh, criminal tribunal for former Yugoslavia, uh, the rules of procedures and evidence were amended uh, I think more than 26 times. So it is also possible to amend the rules of procedure and evidence in a way that would be more, more, uh, more accepted, I think, in terms of uh, standards of international criminal justice. Uh, and I think in the case of Rwanda, I believe uh, there is a higher commission, a local commission, that follows up on the work of the tribunal. We do not have such a commission in Lebanon. I had uh, recommended several times in some articles that I wrote that maybe it would be a good idea to have a commission that would follow up on the work and clarify to the Lebanese citizens how this mechanism that concerns them. It's called the Special Tribunal for Lebanon. If the Lebanese are not concerned with it, who is concerned? So I think that there should be also more discussion in Lebanon. Uh, there was no serious discussion. I don't recall a serious panel to discuss the tribunal. I mean, this is an issue of justice. It should, we should push forward ownership uh, of the Lebanese of this process. You know, and that has not been done, and which creates more doubts, more question marks over this whole process. Hello, thanks very much for that, Mr. Omar. I'm Neil Sammons. I work for Amnesty International. I'm the researcher on Lebanon. Um, I've got a question and a point, or two little points. The question is, um, is it correct? It's been difficult to know exactly what happened with the uh, like Syrian-Saudi deal to try to work out some uh, resolution to this. It was said by some people close to Hezbollah that basically they were not going to smash the um, STL, but they wanted the Lebanese judges to withdraw from it and for it not to have a base in Lebanon, but to continue from uh, The Hague or near The Hague somehow, uh, which seems quite uh, an almost kind of conciliatory position. It's not kind of nothing 
um, or our way. Then with uh, a question, as I mean, you may already know that we said a lot of similar stuff to what you've said now and you've yeah, said I a could, lot more um, in a report we did two years ago. Also yeah. with a question mark, um, yeah. the Special Tribunal for Lebanon uh, Selective, Selective Justice, Justice question mark. Um, as it's quite difficult for Amnesty to say it straight out, we're yeah. a little bit cautious as, as you know. Um, but something which I think really strengthens your argument, the argument which many of us are saying, is there's been a complete lack of attention from the people involved in the Special Tribunal uh, international and Lebanese to address the terrible lack of injustices in the Lebanese justice system. Um, and this was even pointed out by the UN Investigation Committee, Fitzgerald and afterwards, that there was no, um, the Lebanese authorities were unable to carry out their own investigation, partly because of influence from outside and also because it's not seen as um, sufficiently impartial. So we're particularly calling for the Lebanese authorities to address the uh, flaws in the uh, the judicial council in the military courts uh, there's widespread torture which often leads to forced confessions being used in trials this has gone on for decades is very well documented by all sorts of organizations including ourselves and nothing is being done about done for this where the Lebanese authorities the people involved in uh, March 14th the international community really interested in ending impunity and injustice in Lebanon, they would be looking at all of these issues and none of that is happening. My final point, and sorry for taking a little bit of time, is um, I feel a little bit unfortunate on personal selfish levels um, because I was supposed to be coming to Lebanon this weekend to launch a report on the missing in Lebanon. Um, we think now that the timing is not right for it, even though it would be quite good to show the, uh, the contrast in cases which have been looked into, i.e. assassination of Hariri and possibly linked attacks, and the thousands upon thousands of people who went missing during the Civil War and afterwards, and nothing is, is happening to those. If it's possible, I'd like to be in contact with you to, to discuss that third point in particular, but I wonder what you think about the complementary measures, yes. the lack of those, and the first question which was to do with what exactly Hezbollah had apparently agreed with, I believe, even um, Hariri. Sad. Thank okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, I have to say that the report that uh, was published by Amnesty International, I, I quoted that report in several places of the uh, the paper. And um, uh, the uh, Hezbollah is saying uh, openly that uh, they want to. They are asking for the withdrawal of the Lebanese judges and also for stopping the uh, financing of the, uh, tri uh, the Lebanese contribution, financial contribution to the tribunal as stated in Resolution 1757. That creates a problem. Let's be uh, fair. Hezbollah participated, that's why the gover uh, government ministers resigned. Because uh, when the, uh, the Hariri government, the government that resigned last week, um, they, when it was first uh, put together. They, make a, they have a, a ministerial declaration that actually states how the government will function, a plan. And in that plan, if I recall paragraph 17, there is that the, this government will respect resolution 1757. And Hezbollah participated in this government. Uh, when asked 
about the reason when Sayyid Hassan Nasr was asked why did they agree on the ministerial declaration when they do not want to actually con uh, give this contribution and they're calling for the stop of this contribution which contradicts the position. He said that this was made, he said, according to a deal to preserve stability. So I believe, and maybe to go back to the other question, I'm just thinking out loud that if you withdraw from the government and the reason why you agreed to participate in this government is to preserve stability, then we are in a period of instability. Then withdrawing from the government means that this is a, an unstable situation. Now, what Hezbollah is asking is withdrawal of the judges and stopping of the financing. This can only be done if Hezbollah has, or if a government comes, or if Hezbollah controls the coming government, or if Hezbollah has enough influence in the coming government to actually do that. And that's, that, that really perhaps explains, or would come you know, in parallel with all the international pressure, especially from the United States and uh, the UK and France, to actually on uh, the Turkish, uh, uh, Turkish uh, politician and the Qatari to make that summit that took place yesterday to actually tell the Syrians, the summit took place in Damascus, to push the Syrians to bring back Hariri or to talk to its uh, friends in Lebanon to actually push them to actually agree that Hariri comes back and forms a new government that would not stop the funding for the tribunal and that would not withdraw the judges. You see, Resolution 1757 holds, uh, uh, says that if there is a lack of funding, uh, if Lebanon uh, fails to contribute to the 49%, uh, the Secretary General of the United Nations is to find other sources of income. But it has no provision if Lebanon withdraws the judges. There is no provision for that in Resolution 1757 or in the statute or in the agreement signed or passed under Resolution 1757 and under Chapter 7 of the uh, Charter. So uh, uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm not sure about, uh, I, th I think that Hezbollah, uh, the position of Hezbollah is to have, as I mentioned also earlier in this lecture, that it is to have a local commission, a local judiciary commission. And when Nasrallah showed the, uh, what he called information that could implicate Israel, he refused to hand this information to the tribunal. He handed it over uh, in a CD-ROM and files to the Lebanese Prosecutor General Saeed Mirza, uh, to the Lebanese authorities. So that, that's, that, I think, is the position uh, uh, over there. And I, I think that you should come to Beirut and, do, uh, and uh, 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 issue that uh, report on the, uh, and the missing and disappeared. And I recall there was a commission in uh, 2000 by the government of Salim al-Hus, and they asked the people, and this is a very important issue, and I thank you for raising it. If we're talking about justice, it, is always, uh, it always should, I think, uh, come as a priority. There are, according to Wadat Halwani, uh, the, uh, the, she is the, uh, the director of the uh, Lebanese League for uh, uh, Disappeared and, uh, and Kidnapped, and abduct the people, uh, the, uh, the, uh, 17,000, according to her. Uh, only 2,500 of these uh, reported formally to the Lebanese government of disappearances. There are also Palestinians who are disappeared. There are uh, people from other nationalities. There are Iranians who disappeared, Iranian diplomats, the four Iran. And there are other people also. Uh, it, is, uh, it is a very uh, unfortunate that the, uh, it was not considered part of the government's priority 
or of the judicial, uh, judicial uh, in Lebanon uh, or international uh, justice system. It was only uh, mentioned in reports uh, by uh, Amnesty International and by uh, Human Rights Watch and other human rights organizations that are international and local. And that's highly unfortunate. So I think that it would be uh, important that never to postpone this issue because there are uh, families where the government of Salim al-Hus um, uh, issued a, a government decision that would allow them to certify that their loved ones uh, are deceased and therefore he would give them a certificate uh, that their loved ones are deceased. But they couldn't do it. Uh, I, I think none of the families of the disappeared, although they needed the, the paperwork uh, because they needed inheritance paperwork in order to pay for the education of their children sometimes, in some cases, and I know five or six cases uh, out of thousands perhaps, but they couldn't sign the paper uh, you know, that would assert that their loved ones are dead because they have uh, no information, they still hope that maybe one day, although they disappeared in the 70s and 80s, that maybe one day they will find something that would lead to their, you know, to the truth about them. But this was not pursued, and I thank you again. This adds to the argument on uh, selective justice and setting priorities when it comes to basic principles and adhering to the basic principles of justice and human rights. Michael. Uh, did I answer the question? Hi, um, thanks for that. I'm Dr. Michael Kearney from the Law Department here. Um, I want to ask you a question that's not so much based on politics or law, but rather um, about media and journalism, yes. and in particular how the Lebanese media have dealt with um, trying to convey the intricacies of international criminal law and international criminal justice to the wider population. Yes. Um, I, I think that uh, Lebanese uh, media uh, is divided in Lebanon, uh, and as the country is divided. So, so uh, have the Lebanese media who are close to uh, the political party and the political current of uh, Prime Minister Hariri saw this uh, process as uh, as uh, a perfect process almost. They thought that Melis was. Uh, 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 when he was heading the commission that he was, uh, they called him the, the fox of Berlin. They had signs of him and pictures in, uh, uh, in demonstrations that they put on front page uh, of newspapers and the news. They uh, heavily interviewed people who would support the tribunal and who would say that it is flawless. On the other hand, the uh, opposition or the pro-Hezbollah, pro-resistance uh, uh, media uh, con constantly criticized the tribunal and uh, 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 always showed, uh, uh, put a microscope on the flaws uh, and of the on the resignations. On uh, and there was no serious debate uh, in the media or serious exchange that uh, would be uh, uh, would actually create something that is a productive in this whole process. Uh, I think uh, the the media. Uh, I, I'm part of media too, you know. But I I tried to present something, but I, I don't think uh, that we uh, that I was successful. The, despite uh, all the efforts we presented, uh, but I really have to be uh, fair 
and it was not successful. It's, uh, there was no serious uh, debate. Just a brief question. Uh, could you mention the implication of uh, the UN resolution being passed on the Chapter 7, you know, which is actually um, a means to actually give the whole enforcement much m many more teeth? And uh, you know, what, what is the implication of that? Uh, how unusual is it? Yes. Uh, the uh, the uh, statement, the presidential statement issued by the Security Council on the 15th of February uh, considered uh, this uh, crime a threat to, uh, uh, to peace and security, international peace and security. Uh, and uh, uh, Hans asked also the, uh, the Secretary General to follow up on that. Uh, the, uh, they, they wanted to make an agreement. They came up, they negotiated for a long time with Nicolas Michel, the Under Secretary uh, who preceded the predecessor of uh, Patricia O'Brien, uh, did a long uh, negotiations with Lebanese judges and visited Lebanon for a long period of time. They came up with a format that, okay, this tribunal is an international tribunal that works uh, according to Lebanese law and it has a mixed uh, judges, Lebanese and international, uh, and uh, therefore uh, it should be created in a way that is an agreement between uh, Lebanon and the United Nations. Um, uh, the Prime Minister at that time, Fuad Sanyura, um, could not, uh, was not recognized by a large number of Lebanese uh, of being a legal Prime Minister. So the Speaker of Parliament, Nabih Berri, refused to convene the Parliament. Uh, Mr. Sanyura wrote uh, several letters to the Secretary General uh, explaining the situation. Uh, two letters, I recall, and the, the, uh, the Secretary General of the United Nations transferred these letters to the Security Council, and the Security Council, under a lot of pro political pressure, obviously, found a way to bypass uh, Lebanese sovereignty, and the only way could have been done although it may not be entirely legal, that, would be, that is expected to be one of the first cases of, uh, of uh, doubting the credibility of the tribunal, that, that uh, the, the, under Chapter 7, because Chapter 7, uh, I think it was Article 48, that would actually compel all members of, of the uh, United Nations to abide by the decisions made by the resolutions by the Security Council with no exception whatsoever in a very... I don't remember the exact wording, but one can review the... Uh, the, the charter and uh, go back to Article 48. I think it is important that we talk about Chapter 7 today because uh, uh, the, the victim, uh, uh, the son of the uh, Prime Minister Hariri, who was also Prime Minister, visited uh, Syria and, uh, in a, and uh, the ministerial declaration said that there are especially friendly relations between Lebanon and Syria. And he declared that he, it is unlikely that Syria had killed his father. He also visited Tehran. And he said that it would be unlikely. So therefore, it became, all goes down to uh, know that there are some Lebanese who killed their own prime minister. So how can that be a threat to international peace and security? If the Lebanese killed their own prime minister... I, it's a question. I, I don't know. Well, let's wait and see the, uh, how the indictments are going to be published. But uh, I think that the idea uh, at the beginning was that uh, Syria killed Hariri. And that's what I tried to show in the paper. Uh, and that was widely uh, reported in all media. I know Syria killed Hariri, so therefore it's another nation. So it's a threat for, for international peace and security, and, you know, and maybe there's involvement by Iran. There was a report yesterday published in Haaretz, I think a few days ago, three days ago, implicating Khamenei himself, that he gave the orders 
the Ayatollah Khamenei gave the orders to assassinate. So that, okay, that would justify Chapter 7 and Security Council involvement because that would be, you know, an international case that would threaten international peace and security. I don't, I'm not sure, I, I, I'm not sure, I think more uh, reading must be done on my part and more research on how do you determine a threat to international peace and security? How, 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 what's the methodology to actually do that? Or is it according to the interests of strong nations? That's, that's a question. I, I don't know. It's a reminder that there's no judicial review of Security yeah. Council decisions. Exactly. They just decide. Yes, okay. well. Uh, the lady uh, at the back and the gentleman in the navy jacket. Thanks, Omar. Um, my questions could come across as naive, but I'll still go ahead because in the light of such complexity, maybe we need some basic questions. Uh, are there, in your opinion, is there a legal window like a people's tribunal, like, a, like, like let's say a Russell tribunal or Vietnam or now on Palestine, since this kind of tribunal is actually threatening the security of the Lebanese people now, is there like a, a legal window for uh, the people to kind of attack the tribunal legally. Uh, the second thing I want to ask you is um, how, how crucial is it uh, factually, not politically, for us to kind of find out or indict the people who committed this assassination since uh, we, the claims that assassinations as important as Kennedy's are still not revealed or, you know. And the third thing is, since this, this, uh, the, such systems are so politically instrumentalized, what justifies their, their persistence? You as a person, I mean, it's a bit academic as a question, but what justifies the continuation of such tribunals and legal structures if they are just there to be politically and, and colonially uh, instrumentalized? Thanks. Can I just add to that question, uh, a standard critique of these international criminal tribunals is that they work as show trials, but that doesn't really capture the specificity of the problems that you've raised here. Yeah. I was just saying that yeah. a standard critique of international criminal procedures is that they operate, operate as show trials, but that doesn't capture the specificity of this situation. And I wonder if, just as a follow-on to that question, yeah. you could comment. Um, I, I'm, uh, the tribunal's uh, mandate uh, has uh, uh, and the rules of procedure and evidence mentioned that there is an appeal, Chair, uh, you can appeal uh, the decisions made by this uh, tribunal. And uh, you can appeal any decision, not just the uh, ruling. Any decision or anything that is done by the tribunal, you can appeal it uh, if you follow the right, uh, uh, the right procedures. So, I think that's, that's one thing that people can do, they can appeal decisions, but, but I think it has to do with the, the principle of sovereignty. And I think this is a matter that uh, needs to be uh, brought back to the Lebanese public. Uh, and uh, the Lebanese should discuss it and in parliament as the principles of democracy that we perhaps naively still believe in. But I think that the parliament should discuss this matter as the parliament is voted by the people. Let's discuss this issue and see if in Lebanon there is a consensus over the principles of justice. 
that nobody in Lebanon, I think, even Hezbollah and Amal and uh, uh, even uh, Mr. Wiam Wahab or anyone could actually deny, could actually explicitly say that no, uh, the Hariri family has, not the, has no right to pursue justice in this assassination. That, that's, uh, that's not really, nobody said this, and nobody actually would, uh, would actually uh, uh, come out and uh, explicitly uh, say that this is my position. So therefore there is a starting point. Since we all agree that we should achieve justice in this case and other cases, let there be a discussion in parliament. I think that's the way forward if people have already to think about uh, Lebanese sovereignty first, before their relations with external powers. And uh, that's, uh, that's very important, I think. That's the starting point. Now, um, this continues to exist because there is a political pressure, a solid, strong political pressure, that it continues to exist. Uh, and I think it's a large organization. and. Uh, uh, it, uh, there are many interests in making this organization function uh, and continue to function. Uh, now, when it comes to justice, I also wish to mention that the amnesty law was passed in Lebanon for thousands of criminals without having a truth uh, for the victims. There was no truth and reconciliation. We uh, amnestied people for unknown crimes. Un unknown uh, in details, so that's why there are so many disappeared, because the amnesty laws were passed without us knowing, to, uh, the, and the same warlords, uh, not just Mr. Jaja, also the other warlords participated in the governments that actually ruled the country from 1990 until today. Uh, these people, uh, maybe some of them forgot uh, about the people they uh, killed, or that they ordered to kill or kidnap or torture. But uh, a Truth and communi uh, Reconciliation Commission, uh, one of the purposes of this commission is to follow up and uh, try to remember this is a small country. Uh, we want to know where the mass graves are located. There are uh, hundreds, thousands of people who were uh, who were buried, who were, uh, where are they? They threw them in the water. We could do underwater excavation with experts. There is enough technology. There is not even today in Lebanon a database for DNA. Uh, whenever, every time, I'm working as a journalist on a daily basis. So I'm always looking for if they find bones uh, in a construction site or something and see, okay, let's go there and see what are they going to do about it. Uh, they have no means to compare to the DNA. They didn't collect the DNA from the families of the disappeared. The first step is supposed to collect the DNA, but it costs too much money. They don't want to pay for it. They want to pay $73 million for a special tribunal for one case, but for 17,000 cases of disappeared, where there are still people waiting for their loved ones every day, you know, still ironing their shirts and their clothes and putting them back in the in the closet because maybe they will come back tomorrow. I'm being maybe uh, dramatic about it, but that's, uh, this is real life. I mean, this is day-to-day -day life. Some people are still waiting for their loved ones every single day, and they get no access to justice. And that 
Is, these are the issues that we should start discussing as Lebanese to be able to move forward. But there is no podium like this in Lebanon, unfortunately. Hi, I'm Martin Short. I'm a freelance journalist. Um, firstly, obviously, just to sort of comment on the, the amnesty point, you can only have an amnesty if you admit the crime. You can't, you can't give an, an, uh, a general amnesty to people who don't even say what crimes they've committed. You know, that was true in Ireland and in South Africa. You can only have peace and reconciliation if people come forward and say they did this or they've been convicted of it. Then you give an amnesty. Um, I just, what I, this, this, whole, this whole tribunal, uh, you don't have a situation, you can never have a situation where the, the, the judges in a future court can be bound by the rules which a tribunal has set up in relation to the gathering of evidence. The, the, the tribunal, the, the court in Lebanon or wherever this trial may ultimately take place, it must set its own rules of uh, adjudicating whether evidence is admissible or inadmissible. Uh, no investigation. I mean, in this country, you don't expect Scotland Yard to tell the judges how they shall run their courts. I mean, I'm just saying that is that is that surely how it would work in Lebanon? How can a judge be bound by the the rules of the evidence gathering organisation? Who you know, which is the tail and which is the dog? You know. And um, by the way, I want to congratulate you on both the content and the speed of your speech, which uh, you. if you delivered at a normal pace, we'd be still be here at nine o'clock. Um, uh, now, a, a wider point is you've, you've palpably demonstrated the, the doubtful origins, uh, legality, manning, and investigative methods of this uh, uh, tribunal. Um, do you have any doubt that Hillary Clinton and the foreign ministers of, for example, uh, France and Britain will not thoroughly applaud whatever the findings of this inquiry are and that they will then expect it to uh, uh, a trial to take place and expedite it with ruthless efficiency uh, coming to the conclusion that no doubt they we can all see is what they want you know we all know what this is all about you know you've spoken in strictly uh, factual terms but we all know what this is about. We all know who are, who, are dedi who, are, who are meant to be indicted. And we all know what the desired outcome of the international community, as it's uh, generally stated to be in inverted commas, you know. They're all going to come. They know what their conclusion they want, and they will expect it to be executed. Do you have any doubt that uh, Clinton and co. will thoroughly uh, underwrite the findings of this tribunal? Um. Yes, uh, people were amnestied uh, and they didn't recognize their, uh, their crimes in Lebanon. Uh, there was a general amnesty, so they don't even know who they amnestied. The, the law is available, you can read it. It's really interesting. Uh, it was translated, I think, maybe, maybe Amnesty published, I think, a translation or a report uh, related to the, uh, uh, I mean, a translation into English of the Amnesty law. I'm not sure, but I read parts of it. It was translated, and it's available in Arabic. Maybe we can get it translated. The law gives a general amnesty, the law of 91, law, I think, 83, it's the number of the law. It amnestied for all the crimes without mentioning who the perpetrators of the crimes were. So I agree with you. It's not uh, reasonable in terms of uh, uh, access to justice and principles of justice. Uh, as for the rules of procedures and evidence of the Special Tribunal for Lebanon, they are 
uh, voted by the uh, panel of judges of the tribunal. So yes, the judges are the ones who actually uh, create their own rules of procedures and evidence for the special tribunal for Lebanon. But they, they will be, yes. They, they will conduct the trial. Uh, no, uh, the Hague. We're talking about the special tribunal for Lebanon. But on that point, I wish to say that this is a, a special tribunal. It is an exceptional tribunal. It is a temporary tribunal. It's not a fixed tribunal. So on that point, on the point of rules of procedure and evidence, I agree that perhaps the ICC would have been uh, easier to deal with or more uh, plausible to deal with, I think, when it comes to the rules of procedure and evidence, because then you are creating these for all cases. The, here you are creating rules of procedures and evidence for the specific cases that are related to the mandate mentioned in the statute. So that's different than having rules of procedure and evidence for stable courts. On the issue of uh, uh, Mrs. Clinton and the other politicians, I think, you know, these are politicians, so they want to use uh, anything they can use, like any other politician, like their enemies also. Uh, anything that comes out of a judicial uh, process, they want to use for their political interests, obviously. So let's wait and see what the indictment will be, although we expected, and there are signs, it's not that we expected like that. I mean, there are signs, and I showed the signs. Uh, if the tribunal does not indict uh, members of Hezbollah, that's, then the, the, these signs are wrong. We'll do the analysis all over again. But what's more important than who they are going to indict is how they, are, they follow, what kind of process, what kind of evidence will be presented, uh, how did they conduct the investigation, do the, the, the indicted persons have enough guarantees to defend themselves? Uh, these are the questions that are, I think, more important than identifying. Uh, now, from a political level, of course, the persons who will be identified is more important than the process. Now, that's the difference in the vision. So what they care about, okay, I don't care about how you indict them, but if you indict Hezbollah, it suits me. Perhaps Mrs. Clinton would say that. Because it would suit her, because after 2006, I think Hezbollah represents a threat to the security of Israel. And that is not tolerated by the uh, United States. And this was said by President Clinton in APAC conference before he was voted president. This is part of his program. He will not, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Obama. Uh, and Clinton also, uh, also spoke in front of the APAC before uh, Obama was passed into office and said he will not tolerate anything that threatens the security of Israel. Having uh, a group of uh, men with uh, missiles pointed at Israeli military bases in uh, northern Israel is unacceptable. So they should find any means possible. In 2006, they tried the military means. Since 2006 and before that, they tried internal political feud in Lebanon, and there are signs that they pushed for that. They were unsuccessful. Perhaps international justice is a good idea. And it is, perhaps. I mean, especially when you have a president of the tribunal that has uh, so much credibility and good reputation, such as Judge Antonio Cassese, who's also an academic, a renowned academic, and very well published. He's the head of the board for the International Journal for Criminal Justice. He's a professor in the University of Milan. Uh, he is a highly respected person. So how can you doubt a tribunal that is uh, presided by such a person? There was a question uh, in the middle. Uh, I thought the young lady. Okay, yes. My question sorry, is. Sorry, I'm sorry. You were first, actually. Sorry. I'm just. No, um, no the lady. Oh. <laughs> don't you? You don't want to speak anymore? 
All right. Let me, I'll be just a quick question. In effect, you've been uh, the 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 um, the main argument here is that um, Israel committed this. In a way, that's what you're saying. But um, I don't understand how this um, um, fits with the fact that there is a murder, and Hariri was uh, the son of the current prime minister, and he is for this tribunal. I, I just don't understand. He, he wants justice more than anyone, I'd imagine. So if America or, the, or Israel um, did this, you know, how does this work with all the Hezbollah and, uh, um, uh, and, and, and the political conflict? I just, it's all very confusing, and you haven't, to me, it's not clear how on one hand he's pushing for justice, apparently, but on the other hand, it seems at least implied that it's obvious who the other um, um, uh, uh, person who sh or entity that should be uh, uh, accused. Yes. Well, I hope I made myself clear. Yeah, you it was clear. short of time. Do you mind if I take a few questions and then we yes, group them? Okay, questions. go ahead. Yeah. Sorry, just, just this one. Um, yes, the main argument was not that Israel committed this crime. <laughs> yeah. But that wasn't the main argument, and uh, if you wish, you can uh, re-listen uh, again to it. I think it's recorded on podcast. Uh, or if you wish, I could uh, show you the, the paper. Perhaps it would be clearer on paper. But, but let me continue to answer your question, uh, if, if you allow me. Uh, the, uh, yes, Mr. Saad Hariri wants justice. But I'm afraid that he doesn't have a team of lawyers with him or uh, legal advisors with him. So uh, that is, I think, part of the problem. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that uh, he doesn't have a team of lawyers uh, on his side. I think uh, that it would have been very useful for him to have a team of lawyers and advisors by his side. And I am not implying uh, the judicial process is a process that has, uh, that has guarantees, that is a, a process that functions according to uh, what was mentioned in the resolution 1757, the highest standards of international criminal justice. The main argument here is that this process does not function according to these standards. That's the main argument. So uh, the main argument is that when you uh, suspect Hezbollah, uh, it is, uh, it is uh, totally uh, uh, le uh, legal and uh, part of the standard to suspect anyone who is capable of uh, putting a bomb that weighs uh, so much and, uh, and has the capacity. So I think it would only be fit the standards if you apply also the same suspicion on Israel because Israel has been involved in political assassinations and assassinations in Lebanon and recent assassination uh, that is an ongoing investigation that is there is a prosecution in uh, Dubai with al mabhouh and also uh, assassination, as I recall, I was really young, but uh, an assassination of Mr. Ehud Barak himself, who uh, came to Beirut and who says it uh, out openly that he came to Beirut in 1973 and assassinated uh, uh, Yusuf al-Najjar or Kamal Nasser or Kamal Adwan in Verdun, inside the heart of Beirut, and he says it and he's proud of it, and he became prime minister afterwards. So it's only in, in, in compliance with the standards 
that one should take into account all possible possibilities and then let justice prevail and let the truth be out for everybody. It's not about uh, conspiracies and things like that. It's about justice. That's the main argument is that we should have justice in this case and other cases. So I hope this answers your question. Thank you. Um, Thank you. I don't think the question was actually putting forward a conspiracy theory, were you? I don't think your question was actually putting forward a conspiracy theory. With the, I just find it bizarre that the main uh, driver of the tribunal, it seems as a foreigner, is the son of the murdered prime minister, and, it's, and there's a contradiction with... with, uh, with yes, sir. But let's just take uh, now a, a few remaining points, and then if you can uh, respond in conclusion, sure. that would be great. So you had a, a point to make, and then you did... Um, Very quickly, please. Yeah. Thanks, Omar, for a detail of. Uh, I think what you're say, part of what you're saying, or what we hear again, and again, is obviously justice in the case of the special tribunal is uh, actually political. It's not. It's not an issue of justice. It's political manipulation of justice, which is nothing new for Lebanon, at least, and I think in many places around the world, it's nothing new that justice is, is selective. A few days after. Uh, like after the Hariri family started asking for the tribunal, Wadat Halawani from the committee of uh, families of the disappeared said yes, but we need, it's not, we're like 20 years later for a discussion on the disappeared now. As in the past three, four years, they did discover uh, collective um, graves that were buried right away with the presence of the whole uh, ministerial board. Those who are uh, pro and against the international tribunal and I'm thinking if we just go, um, leave international politics for a bit behind us or we know it's an issue of international politics but it's an issue of internal politics where there is no rule of law in Lebanon more important than the assassinations of uh, ministers is the killing of the judges inside a few years back which also was not tried and we have established, or the Lebanese have established, a culture that prioritizes justice back with the amnesty law. The amnesty law did not give amnesty to all crimes. It did have exclusions on assassinations of political figures in case evidence appears. And that sort of culture was established back in 1990, 1991, when the, 91 when the amnesty law came out. And we're reaping the fruits today, 20 years later. So just, where is that discussion on what does that mean to a power-sharing political system that benefits from the absence of rule of law that is supported by that sort of uh, double standards? Thank you very much. Hello, Hello my question is a very quick one. Uh, well, first of all, I'd like to thank you for your very elucidating presentation. I, I really appreciated uh, really appreciated the uh, the uh, presentation, and we've been discussing a lot about justice. And I would like uh, I would just like to address what would be the consequences of this justice if, when someone is indicted, where are the enforcement mechanisms? Who enforces that? Where would they be jailed? Where would they be? Basically, how 
where would uh, yeah where how would justice be served to the people where would they be jailed where where what would come out of this Over there, if Hezbollah is indicted, what do you think would actually would actually happen to the Party of God? And uh, regarding their uh, uh, their demands of a, a Lebanese tribunal, uh, do you think this is feasible? And if it would happen, wouldn't it be also corrupt and uh, facing the same challenges that the international, which was supposed to be uh, objective and neutral, uh, currently facing? assassination of the four judges there was a judicial proceeding and they, uh, they have uh, the court decision and there is a name but the person is, uh, is, um, is not, uh, was not arrested. There are many judicial cases also in Lebanon and perhaps that's related to your question too where there have been uh, court decisions and they have not been enforced. So that's, that's uh, to answer your question. I agree with you that, uh, yes, uh, the both uh, sides, those who support the tribunal and those who criticized it, have not done enough in the, uh, when it comes to the disappeared. And especially, I remember you were working for Amnesty International in Lebanon. And I remember that. I think we, we discussed this. And I know that the uh, excavation was done uh, in Halat, was done in a very sporadic and unprofessional way. And there were people who were there uh, on location doing the excavation, or rather preventing the excavation from actually happening. There was no investigation in this case, and it remained uh, very flawed. And I agree with you in saying that the power sharing should, uh, should be based on principles and principles of what the plan of the, uh, the government should be in establishing, the, establishing justice. Now, on the issue of uh, enforcement of, uh, of uh, justice, um, how is justice served and wh why is it served? Is, is that, that's one of the questions. What's the raison d'etre, I think, of the justice system? I think that, uh, well, it is... Uh, the way President Cassese says that this tribunal is to help end impunity, uh, uh, definitely that's, uh, that's very important, but uh, uh, how, the question is how can we create a mechanism that will, that will end impunity? Uh, is it through deterrence? Uh, I don't think that uh, the deterrent element is uh, efficient unlike what Mr. Nasrallah himself thinks, because Mr. Nasrallah thinks that capital punishment will deter people from becoming spies for Israel. I don't think uh, this, uh, uh, the capital punishment uh, deters people, and I don't think that the judicial proceedings deter people. I think that we should rather look at pushing forward a culture of justice in Lebanon, and, and a culture of accountability and uh, follow-up and checks and balances. Uh, you know, we should create a government, uh, I think, and a system that holds people accountable for, uh, uh, for not respecting the, uh, the law, and uh, uh, in all cases, not just in assassinations. Uh, 
Um, if Hezbollah is indicted, uh, uh, the, the tribunal will not indict uh, Hezbollah, will indict individuals. I repeat what uh, France, <laughs> Ambassador Francis Guy and, uh, and Elio Marie said she, they're right, but what they mean is that these individuals then perhaps it will lead to their leadership. But uh, I, uh, Hezbollah will not cooperate. Uh, that's what I quoted uh, Nasrallah saying. So therefore, uh, I don't know what it would do on the internal level politically, but uh, there is also one thing that could be interesting now that we're thinking, so we bring everything in that Hezbollah promised, vowed to avenge the assassination of, uh, of its military leader, Imad Mughniya. So when, how, I do not know, they accuse, they accuse Israel of uh, committing this crime. I do not know if this is related to this case in terms of timing or the type of retaliation. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure, but I think we should keep that in mind somewhere, that they have this vow that they made and that they declared uh, openly. I'm not sure. Sorry. We really need to finish now, unfortunately. Uh, you've raised uh, and catalogued some very serious concerns, and you've presented them with great lucidity and passion. Thank you. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thank you.